Weekend Warriors, the foreign policy podcast that asks, what else is happening in the world? I'm Essie Cup. So, as you know, it's an election year. But did you also know it's an Olympics year? That's right. The summer games in Tokyo begin July 24th. That's right around the corner. Maybe you were hoping, with all the drama and anxiety that's accompanied the 2020 presidential race here at home, Hitting pause with the Olympics in the summer would just be the perfect antidote, the perfect escape from all the politics. Temporary respite from the turmoil. Well, look, I hate to break it to you. The Olympics are already courting some political controversy. The International Olympic Committee has announced specific guidelines about the types of political protests that athletes are allowed to make at the games. And the short answer is none. That's right. The rules include no kneeling, no political signs or armbands, no disrupting of the medal ceremonies, no, quote, demonstration of political, religious, or racial propaganda, end quote. New York Times reports that the guidelines codify existing rules that barred athletes from staging protests on the field or at medal ceremonies but now remove some of the ambiguity about what constituted a political protest. Violations will be handled on a case-by-case basis. Now, as you can imagine, lots of, uh, lots of criticism of this already. U.S. soccer star Megan Rapino, who, you know, has been a very outspoken uh, member of the U.S. soccer team, in her criticism of, of the Trump administration in particular, well, she immediately weighed in with an Instagram post saying, we will not be silenced. So is it possible, is it even practical to take politics out of sports, especially now at a time like this? Well, joining me now to talk about it is CNN sports analyst, USA Today, sports columnist, Christine Brennan. Uh, Christine will be in Tokyo for all of the Olympics, both for USA Today and CNN. So she'll be bringing us all all the stories, including potential fallout from this one. Uh, Christine, what do you think made the IOC codify these rules now? Essie, it's, uh, it's a great question, and it really goes to the heart of where we are, I hate to say it, in politics and in our world. Mm-hmm. And so you hope that sports is the escape that it once seemed to be, uh, maybe back in the days of Babe Ruth, I don't know, a long, long time ago now. And really, it's much more a mirror of our society. Because of these fraught times, because so many people have opinions on the U.S. president, among many other things, and of course we're talking about athletes not just from the United States but from around the world, and mostly young people uh, who might have a different view than their parents or grandparents on some issues, because of that, we're at this time where, of course, protest is, is, is back the way it was, say, in the late 60s. Uh, and uh, Muhammad Ali and, and the, the sprinters at the 68 Olympics, Carlos and Smith. So that's part of the issue. But the more immediate answer to your question is uh, this past summer, summer of 2019, the Pan American Games, which are a lesser international competition involving the Americas, uh, two U.S. athletes did protest on the medal stand. And that one was in Peru, knee, right? Right. One took a knee mm-hmm. and the other um, did a, uh, raised their fist. Yeah. And they, uh, this, of course, then everyone's like, okay, if this is happening at the Pan Am Games, what's going to happen next summer, which, of course, now is this summer in mm-hmm. Tokyo? 
Bottom line, they were not kicked out of the Olympics. The U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee CEO, Sarah Hirschland, uh, actually broke this story a week or two after, after the Games, uh, wrote that she found their uh, action admirable as, as citizens and, and, and speaking out and having their voice and using their First Amendment rights and put them on 12 months probation, mm-hmm. which, SE, I have to tell you, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> uh, maybe it's double secret probation, but bottom line, <laughs> they got yeah. a, slip, a little just slap on the hand. And they were able to go on their way, continue to practice and compete and anything they wanted to do. That then led everyone to say, okay, we better, they better have some mm-hmm. kind of a, as you said, codify, codifying a little bit more detail of what the rules are for the Tokyo Olympics where this kind of thing could happen a lot. And that's why mm. we see this very specific, you know, no kneeling, but you can tweet, no flag waving, but you can speak at the, uh, at the press conference. That's why we we got this news. Well, and yeah, you mentioned two Americans, and it's not hard to imagine Americans trying to make some kind of political protest about any any number of issues. But there's also, as you mentioned, so much going on around around the world from from Hong Kong to Turkey to Venezuela. There's Brexit. There's Iran. I mean, you could imagine a number of athletes from a number of countries using this huge platform of the Olympics for some people in countries where speech is repressed, where uh, is suppressed, where where there's not a lot of freedom of the press. This might be their only opportunity to really speak out about some of these important causes. So, I mean, how serious a blow is this to some athletes who might have been looking forward to this opportunity to really have a voice? I don't think it's as serious a blow as many of my colleagues made it first sound mm. when, when people were saying, oh, no, this is terrible. They're muzzling. I mean, you, did, you haven't said this, but, you know, in general, you yeah. kind of got this, the Twitter world a day or two after this occurred a few days ago. You know, it was kind of like, oh, they're muzzling the athletes and this is unfair and they have the right to speak. So I think it's important to maybe just step back and actually picture what this could look like. Um, so you got a gold medalist from Israel, let's just say, mm-hmm. just making that up in, in, some, in some event in Tokyo. And you've got a bronze medalist, say, from an Arab nation that cannot stand Israel, mm-hmm. all right, which we know these exist, and vice versa, yep. right? So I'm not taking any side on this. I'm just, just presenting sure. this anecdote as a, as a possible you know, hypothetical. And what does that bronze medalist do? Does that bronze medalist wave some anti-Israeli banner, anti-Jewish banner, mm-hmm. uh, does the does the then the Israeli on then in this hypothetical on the gold medal uh, stand uh, right looking down at the bronze medalist punch them out mm. uh, wave another flag um, and what's going on with the silver medalist who might just be from Australia saying oh, what's going on you you can't uh, if we if we say anyone can do anything on the medal stand which by the way has never been the rule these are the same rules they've mm-hmm. just made it a little clearer these are the rules that have been in place for a long time. If you just want a free-for-all on the medal stand, right? And I'm not, by the way, I'm not making light of these issues at all. Sure. But I'm just trying to paint this picture because I think this has been lost, as seen in the conversation. If you want everyone to be able to do whatever the heck they want, so you can have anti-Trump stickers, you could put a bumper sticker on your forehead, I hate Trump. Mm-hmm. You can also say re-elect Trump, mm-hmm. if, you know, for the silver medalist and whatever. If that's what you want, well, good luck, because then that's a three-ring circus. 
So I have to say, as, a, as someone who's covered the Olympics going back to 1984 in Los Angeles, yeah. um, a lot of them, 18 in a row, gearing up for my 19th winter and summer, that you just, I don't think you can have that. I think, I think you know, and I hear you, Christine, from a practical point of view. And I, I'm a person that doesn't like politics with my, with my entertainment, whether that's sports or or awards shows. But but let me just read some of the text uh, of the rules, according to The New York Times. Uh, it says it's a fundamental principle that sport is neutral and must be separate from political, religious or any other type of interference. And the IOC president says the Olympics are not and must never be a platform to advance political or any other divisive ends. And again, I, I understand the practical the practical reasons for that. Uh, But playing devil's advocate just for a second, does sports really have the luxury of escaping politics right now when there is so much political turmoil and not just like the caddy infighting here in the States over Donald Trump, but real political turmoil, life and death political turmoil in places like Hong Kong? No, they cannot escape it. They've never been able to. And frankly, it's a bunch of malarkey. Uh, some of the uh, platitudes from the International Olympic mm. Committee in terms of, uh, oh, this can't happen. There's politics throughout the Olympics. There always has been. There's yeah. politics in sports. And I'm not even talking, we're not even talking about political displays, just just uh, countries disliking other countries. Look mm. at figure skating. This will be a Summer Olympics figure skating. It's always been the, the Soviets, now the Russians against, you know, the East against the West. Uh, in terms of, mm-hmm. I'm not going to vote for your skater, you're not going to vote for my skater. Little things to big things. So, um, you know, the IOC itself believes it can try to stop, have a truce, an Olympic truce. They try to, if there are wars yeah. going on in the world, they ask for an Olympic truce during the time of the Olympic Games. That's a good thing, but that's certainly politics and inserting yourself into these things. So that part of the conversation, I completely agree with your devil's advocate position. You are right, and it's nonsense to even come up with this politics are not a part of sport. Um, The other big piece of this, though, that I think is important, Megan Rapinoe, Mm -hmm. obviously, one of the biggest names in sports in 2019, Sports Illustrated Sports Person of the Year, uh, rock star. Megan Rapinoe was abiding by these similar rules. It wasn't the Olympic Committee. It was FIFA because it was World mm-hmm. Cup soccer, of course, over the summer in, in France. Megan Rapinoe did not protest on a medal stand. She stood uh, you know, back straight uh, at attention for the national anthem, did not put her hand over her heart, put her hands behind her back. No protest at all. Yeah. So what Megan Rapinoe did would follow every single rule that right. we are talking about for mm. Tokyo. And yet, Megan Rapinoe had the largest and loudest voice in terms of against yeah. Donald Trump and anything else, any other cause, and women's sports issues, women's and she could empowerment. Again. Yeah. So you can't, and that's what we're going to see. We're going to see athletes that use Twitter and, and Facebook and social media, which, of course, didn't exist for these athletes 10, 15 years ago. They can now mm. say these things. It just won't, the idea is not to have it happen on the medal stand. Is this also a little bit... Christine, about business, TV deals, sponsorships, you know, this is a highly televised worldwide event. Is there is there an aspect of that in the IOC's sort of um, really enumerating what athletes can and can't do? 
I think so. Uh, you certainly don't want to upset sponsors. So you can imagine, a, a again, in, in the scenario that hopefully will not exist of everyone waving flags and furious with each other and throwing water at each other on the metal stand. And again, that's, this is a, that's a doomsday scenario yeah. <laughs> that I do not believe will happen. It has not happened in the past. But you can imagine then going to a Coca-Cola commercial, right? Right. <laughs> right. Oh, you can imagine how the, the people, you know, they're the sponsors, and there's a real sense um, that I think you've hit on of sponsors are part of an Olympic family. They use that wording. Now we might kind of gag at that wording, like it's business, it's not a family, but it's called the Olympic movement. And it's much, it's, it's not the same, I don't think, as sponsoring a, a TV show or a, a run-in-the-mill football game. You, you are part of the Olympics, and the Olympics yeah. is the largest regularly scheduled peacetime gathering of the world. Uh, that is a fact. Uh, there's nothing bigger, and there's nothing that has more power for good. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I love covering it, because, yeah. of, of course, there could be scandal. Of course, there's doping scandal. Lance Armstrong, Marion Jones, the Russians cheating their brains out. Of course. But when it's good, it's great. And there's a lot of yeah. good in the Olympic Games and people doing it for the right reasons um, and, and wonderful, heartwarming stories from all around the world, not just the United States, of course. Yeah. And so I think that's, that probably makes it even more imperative to not have it become a free-for-all. Uh, for the sponsors and other businesses that are associated with the Olympic Games. Well, I and I think you know this, Christine, but other others might not. But I I used to cover the Olympics in the 2000 aughts, the early 2000 aughts for The New York Times when I was working in sports. And um, I had a real good sense of how the Olympics were doing in terms of viewership. But I I don't anymore because it's I've been out of it. Um, You tell me, do people still tune in? to the Olympics at rates that they did, um, or, or are they tuning in more or less? What's less. the status? Yeah, less. And, and it makes sense, of course. I mean, you know, you had, for example, going back to the 94 Olympics, Tanya Nancy talk about another you know, yeah. circus, um, but, but fascinating in and of itself. So that got a 48.5 television rating when they finally skated in the short program at mm-hmm. the end of February of, of 1994, Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding mm-hmm. and other skaters as well, of course, were in that competition. Uh, that was half the nation watching, and it was tape delayed, and it was about eight hours old. So you'll never get those kinds of numbers again. No. Um, it's still one of the highest rated, uh, you know, program. It's the highest, some of the highest rated programming uh, of the year, mm. just because it is still a, a draw. One of the key elements, going back to politics, you'll have the Democratic convention, you'll have the Olympics, and then you'll have the Republican convention, and they it separate it to make sure not to compete. Wow. So there is that, and it's, and it's of course one network, NBC. So much more of it though is about streaming, about Twitter. Oh, hey, look, Katie Ledecky won a gold medal. Okay, now I'll go back to dinner. You know, as mm. opposed to doing what what we all did and what our our grandmothers and our moms did. You know, the appointment TV from eight to eleven, where you didn't miss a thing. You know, uh, back in yeah. the seventies and eighties and what have you. I will also say this, the younger audience that is such a key, of course, the demographic that everyone wants, um, those people have younger people in their 20s, you know, teens, 20s, have not necessarily grown up with the Olympics the way their moms and dads and their parents, mm. grandparents did, which means that they're not those avid viewers. So let's just play this out. One of the reasons I think that this will not be a huge deal at the Olympics, and we'll talk about it a lot, but the end result, SE, may not be that we're seeing athletes thrown out left and right. Yeah. I, it, let's say Megan Rapino takes a knee. Let's say she does what she did not do last summer yeah. and actually decides to take a knee because we're right in the midst, smack dab at the presidential election, which, of course, is the backdrop of all of this. Mm-hmm. If Megan Rapino takes a knee, my guess will be that Sarah Hirschland, the CEO of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, will not send her home. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. one of the reasons for that is you do not want to lose that younger fan base. Right. Um, I think you talk to Megan Rapino and say, 
you shouldn't have done that, and you move on because I don't think that anything, especially the U.S. and Olympic and Paralympic Committee, wants to go there mm. and have a fight with a superstar like that. So before I let you go, tell me, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm pretty sure you've got an answer. Um, tell me what you think is going to be one of the biggest storylines coming out of this Olympics, not related to the U.S.? Oh, good question, because I was going to say certainly gymnastics, um, which is related to the U.S. Uh, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, Simone Biles, mm. a survivor of Larry Nassar, and again, an American, um, as oh, also yeah. the greatest in her sport. We've never seen anything quite like that, where you've got the athlete who's the best in the world and continues to be the best in the world mm. the last five, six, seven years, also a survivor of the worst scandal in the history of, mm. of the Olympics, which is, of course, the, the uh, horrific sexual abuse scandal. In, in oh, I'm glad you mentioned that, yeah. So, yeah, so that's a big one. I think what we're going to see with Australia, I mean, uh, we're seeing it already with the tennis, the Australian Open, and the great concern and the uh, fundraising for those who have been killed and affected by the terrible fires in Australia. Australia always has a strong swimming program. <laughs> they always are um, a, a force in the Summer Olympics. So how will the world uh, you know, greet them, especially if this, if this continues to be a, a huge issue in Australia, and hopefully not? Um, and uh, I, I think, again, seeing the countries of the Middle East uh, and their athletes rise above the politics, yeah. uh, always see those moments, and I certainly hope we see those again in Tokyo in a few months. Uh, well, Christine Brennan, I mean, no one knows this better than you do. So I'm so grateful you could come on today to talk all of this over with me. And we'll we'll have you back um, in July before either before you leave or when you get back to uh, to uh, pre- prep us or debrief us, as it were. Or maybe even during. I would love to, Essie. I love your. Obviously oh, love I didn't even and... want to ask because I you know, you'll be yeah. so busy. But yes, well, if you could make some time for us while you're there, of course, we'd love to touch base. We'd love to. Listen, you know, it's called the No Sleep Olympic. Do you know that? You know, <laughs> I, you, do. <laughs> I do. I <laughs> do. So I would be happy to carve out a little time for you when I'm over there. And always a delight to be on. Thanks for the for the great questions. And uh, and, and what a story we're going to have. All of these things just in between the Democratic and the Republican Convention in the United States. going to be quite a summer. Christine Brennan, thanks so much. And that does it for me, S.E. Cup. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in to the next episode of Weekend Warriors.